exercise literally was my stress management. And I didn't put that together until later. I couldn't control some things in my marriage, but I could control how I took care of myself. And that just set the tone for the day. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another podcast episode. Today, I'm here with Jody Shakely-Wright. She is a wellness coach with a PhD in nutrition. She's an OCB natural bodybuilding pro and women's figure, as well as a judge for the OCB. She's got over a decade plus of experience in the fitness industry and a wealth of knowledge with diet, behavioral coaching, all that jazz. So I'm happy to have you. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Brock. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So a little bit, a little background too of of how I know you and how we know each other. Maybe you can kind of give mm-hmm. your first first perspective of young Brock. But um, so some cool. people will know this, but most won't. But my first like job was I actually got hired at 15 at the gym I was working out at. So I'd worked out, lifted for like a year or so. And I got hired at this local gym. It was actually not the one I was usually going to, but a branch location. And um, met so many like lifelong kind of like friends through that, gained so much experience through that. But um, anyway, worked at this gym for years as kind of just like a, I don't know, it was a fitness consultant, but I was kind of just helping around, talking to members, helping where it was needed. And uh, that's where we basically met. I was like, man, this woman is is jacked. She's got these cap delts. <laughs> and, uh, you know... I uh, got to got to know you more and more through the years, see all the things you do, see your competitions and so forth. And I, I competed in one OCB show myself. And I think you were at that one too, judging. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's a little recap of, uh, of how we got to know each other. But I'm glad to kind of dig deeper into all that you have been doing, a little bit more of your background and so forth. Definitely. And I'm happy to give the younger Brock perspective from the... <laughs> older woman. <laughs> and and I, I remember seeing you in the gym. I mean, anytime you go to a new gym, I, you know, you see faces, but yours was uh, one that I kept seeing more and more consistently. And then I noticed you putting on more muscle and all of a sudden you're on this bodybuilding stage in front of me. And I was like, well, dang, look at Brock go. So I have to tell you, it was a pleasure to watch that evolution. And you were just in there doing the dang thing consistently. So I know that you used to be a cheerleader, and uh, before we kind of get started, you just referenced some some ballet instruction. So give us a little bit of background and maybe walk us through how was your kind of athletic upbringing and how that led into getting into bodybuilding and, and what that looked like. Happy to. So at the age of five, my mom put me into ballet, jazz, tap with the local the local guru who happened to have been a Russian ballerina who defected from Russia in World Mm. War I. She came to the U.S., and in my little small town of Meadville, Pennsylvania, she had been teaching so long, Brock, she actually taught my grandmother. So she was that Mm. kind of instructor who just, like, she'd wrap you on the shins with with her cane. It it was like that then. (laughs) And and I don't mind sharing. I just turned 50. So for reference, this is 1978. Uh But that's all that I knew. So that very strict foundation and upbringing led me to do other things. I thank my parents for the sacrifices that they made because I feel like I had better coordination and better body mechanics and a better physique because of that. Mm -hmm. And I was active in high school sports and gravitated towards cheerleading, ended up being a cheerleader for a semi-pro basketball team when I was 16 which is probably mm-hmm. not a good idea ever again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No girl sub 18 should be doing that. But I did and got out in one piece. I was a yeah. basketball cheerleader at the University of Pittsburgh. And then I was pregnant and married before my senior year in college. Now, I had watched two, two family members in particular, my two aunts. One with her pregnancies gained 80 pounds for each pregnancy. And you know, Brock? Mm-hmm. I looked at that and I thought, I'm already feeling out of place, right? Because I'm 21, I'm <laughs> yeah. pregnant. And, and for, for the better part of six months, people are probably thinking, wow, girlfriend had too many beers. But that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and until I was yeah. really showing like that final month. But I watched my aunt gain all that weight. And I said, it is not going down like that for me. So that was one of the major 
I would say nutrition slash physique connections that I made earlier in life. The other was I didn't make the, the pit squad the first year in college. I made it my second year. And after I did, the cheer director came up to uh, two girls and me. She took us aside. And at the time, I was five, six and a half, same height as now. I was 133 pounds. And she said, you have to shrink your thighs. So mm. not being degreed in nutrition, not knowing what... I mean, I, I knew what healthy foods were, but not really having a constructed specific program. I stupidly put myself on a thousand calories a day. Don't ask me why that was the number. And I That's learned, classic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, lear I, I learned to gravitate towards the foods that filled my stomach. So rice, pierogi, boiled pierogies and salsa. And well, you're learning a lot of this through because mm -hmm. I'm imagining this is what, like the 90s. Is there much mm -hmm. information that's out on that? I mean, I know there's, you know, I always kind of reference or look back to a lot of the, you know, the, the muscle fitness and bodybuilding magazines and so forth. Um, but I feel like, you know, if we look back at those, I remember I bought some for our gym and we had them in the hallway and reading uh -huh. some of the advice and nutrition stuff. And there was just atrocious. Wh where were you getting? Because it sounds like you had a good idea of actually good mm -hmm. steps to take, satiating foods and so forth. Where mm -hmm. were you getting this kind of structure to go with? Some from my brother who had been in the army and he was nine years older than me and he started to do powerlifting. Yeah. So a little from him and as I watched his physique change, I liked the look and I, I liked just, I, I liked it. I liked it all. It was just fascinating to me to watch his body change with his training and nutrition. So some of that, some of just my upbringing, my, my mom would not allow sodas in the house. My grandmother was the only one who had sugary cereal. So we really didn't have a lot of sugary foods. So I, I knew what solid foods were. I just was not gotcha. aware of a ample calories, but then also what the right macro balance is too. So I lost, I lost seven pounds in a couple of months, eight pounds, 10 pounds really. And I saw my cheer coach two months later and she came up to me and she ran up and she took both of my hands and she said, you look amazing. And I thought to myself, I have never felt like shit more in my life than I do right now. And there has to be a better way. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I was going to say, mm -hmm. you know, that's probably, that's a problem that specifically I think women fall into is this idea of like, you know, just pure thinness, uh, eating basically, you know, leaves and ice cubes to basically try and get your weight down and, uh, you know, lose that fat. And I think in the 90s, too, if you look back at, you know, I'm a, I'm a big 90s head, although I wasn't born in the decade with some of those music groups. And I think of like Gwen Stefani and she was just like super thin. And a lot of the, you know, the the attractive woman's physique was geared around this idea of thin, thin, thin. But it seems like looking at your brother, too, eventually you had this appreciation of muscle a lot sooner than society would start to appreciate muscle on women and look at things more than just a you know, like skeleton kind of vision. Definitely. So I was a child of, I was born in the seventies, child of the eighties. So the whole, the saying thin is in, that was, that prevailed. And there were some outliers, Corey Everson, not everybody would know that name, but Corey Everson okay. was, was one of the first. And truly I had always had more muscle than others my age. So it, it was, something different about me and my dance teacher again being classically trained and about ballerina in new york city she would kind of almost make fun of my muscles and just say oh you know all that thickness but that's just that's how again i was fed well and i was extremely active and my mm -hmm. dad helped me with my gymnastics and i think that was really half of the foundation of my muscle and then the other was just getting into the gym after watching my brother grow Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that lead into bodybuilding? So you have this experience where you're going through cheerleading, you have, you know, big change in your life with, with being pregnant and so forth. Uh, how does this kind of, I guess, fill in the gaps between now and, you know, how'd you fell in love with bodybuilding? Was it, was it soon after that or was it much later? It was soon after that because college cheerleading ended. Mm -hmm. uh, well, college cheerleading ended when I got married and pregnant, <laughs> but college cheerleading ended and I knew that something was going to have to take the place of that. Otherwise, 
like I looked at my family's heredity and, and they may be wanting to choke me right now, but it's the reality. I have some athletes in my family and I have others who, who have not had such a healthy lifestyle. And I didn't know how it was going to go down, which, which side I tended towards more, but I knew that if I didn't get a handle on it, I knew which direction it would go eventually. So I gave birth to my son and we had I don't know. Have you ever used one of these? I'm dying to ask you. You remember the old school Nordic tracks, the skiers? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a serious workout. So that's how I lost the baby weight. But I knew there needed to be more. And and at that time, early 20s, my husband, my first husband had a series of promotions pretty quickly. We were moving six times over eight years. We were moving every 18 months because he was getting mm -hmm. promoted. So we started because he had been a college football player. We started with a couple pieces of workout equipment. And then all of a sudden it just, it grew until we had about 12 or 13 machines. I obtained my fitness training certification through ISSA and started training some clients in my home. And my son was about three at the time. And I said, you know, you have your toys over there and mama has her toys here and, yeah. and that's how we do. And that's a good it, setup to have mm -hmm, a, have a home gym that, that early. And, um, it's definitely, obviously the pandemic, I feel like was a big shift for a lot of people to think about the accessibility and building out a home gym, but, uh, that's pretty innovative to kind of already start building that out, get those machines kind of collected over time and make it what it is. And that's a big benefit too, with, uh, trying to, stay fit while not only like kind of around pregnancy and after, but also just with kids. A lot of times that's, I'm sure you've experienced with clients. A lot of people's excuse is like time, right? Either with work or with kids and so forth. And it does make things a lot more complicated. So the more that you can kind of have uh, the convenient option at home, whether it is just body weight, home workouts, or whether you have uh, more equipment that you've invested in, it makes all the difference. And we did so gradually. So let me be clear when, when we were first married, that first year of our marriage, we were extremely poor. Our parents were giving us money for groceries. We were very poor. So as the money started to increase, you're, you're correct. Number one, the local gyms just didn't have babysitting services. And number two, I, I'm not a spendthrift by nature. So we, we poured our dollars into just adding one piece at a time. And the money that would have gone to gym memberships just went to equipment instead. So that yeah. worked in our favor. Just reallocated. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Gotcha. So in my 20s, I had this just very self-structured program. It was 30 minutes of lifting a day and 30 minutes of cardio. Mm -hmm. And I had a thinner physique at that at mm -hmm. that time. But that was my MO every morning, six days a week and nothing insane. So my body composition improved over time and I just loved it. I wasn't really understanding at that point progressive overload. So mm -hmm. I wasn't lifting heavy enough to grow further. And that kind of came later in that marriage. I don't know, maybe they just kind of coincided, you know, they coincided, but mm -hmm. the stress of the marriage is what mm -hmm. I, where I poured my energy into for my workouts. So exercise literally was my stress management. And I didn't put that together until later. I couldn't control some things in my marriage, but I could control how I took care of myself and yeah. that just set the tone for the day. So I think just, I don't know, maybe by angst or stress, I started to lift heavier and I started to see some differences. And at that point, I was pursuing a master's degree and then a, a PhD in nutrition. So I started to connect some dots more. Fast forward through to, through the divorce. If you want to know anything mm -hmm. about that, we can go back. But when, <laughs> but when I moved yeah. to Richmond, I moved to Richmond when a former high school classmate and I reconnected. And he won the city card because Kevin was in law enforcement and he would have had to have started all over if had he moved to Charlotte to be with me. So when we decided we wanted to share our life together, I moved to Richmond I originally went to the Gold's Gym in Mechanicsville, mm -hmm. and there were a few trainers, and I saw them. I saw them, and I knew they were whispering about me. I mean, you just know sometimes. And and I remember his name is also Kevin, same name as my husband. He came over to me, and he said, do you compete? And I'd never been asked. I'd never considered it. I really didn't mm -hmm. even, I, I didn't even think about it, but I 
I thought about it. I started thinking about it. And I was 42 at the time, Brock. And I thought, well, I'm over 40. What do I have to lose? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? But experience being the dear teacher that it is, I was also naive to think that I could coach myself because, you know, I mean, internally I thought, well, I have a fitness training certification. I have my PhD in nutrition. I'm a certified health coach. I should, and, and there it is. There's the red flag. Should, I said yeah. the word should. <laughs> I should be able to do this. And luck, whatever you want to call it, I did actually win five out of six first place finishes at the OCB Body Sculpting Open uh, eight, eight years ago. So I was encouraged and I thought I'd love to do more of this because, and I want to ask you too, like when you got on stage, like, did you catch the bug or was it one and done for you? So that, yeah, competing's interesting to me because uh -huh. I think it's different for everyone. Like, you know, and I heard this recently, I think it's pretty accurate. It's like why you started isn't why you still do it. And so it's kind of interesting mm -hmm. the idea of like, you know, as I was changing my physique for a lot of guys, especially at, at a younger age, right? It's girls, it's being more noticed, it's taken more seriously. It's, it's you know, a little bit of like manhood tied into it, right? It just feels right. like the right and the cool thing to do and so forth. And like you, like, I didn't have uh, the most stressful situation comparatively, but it still was an outlet for me. It was still like mm -hmm. my personal time. It was my time away. I would, you know, spend hours in a classroom confined and then I could go and I would just look forward all day to that evening workout. So it was very much that love for me and uh, changing my physique. And I think what makes bodybuilding a, a little bit underappreciated, but those in it really understand it is the, uh, the art of it. And like the idea that I want my shoulder to grow. I can actually manipulate that. I can control that. Or I want my physique to look a little bit more like this. I can train these certain body parts to shape it that way. And uh, and, and along with the diet too, it's, it's just so beautiful how you can really gain, as you mentioned, there's so many things in life that are out of our control, but when you have enough uh, confidence and, and knowledge to know how to manipulate your body through training and diet, it's very empowering to have that control over yourself and your physique and so forth. So uh, it's, to tie this into your question with uh, competing, I loved the experience of preparing for the show. And the show itself, I'll get to in a minute, I didn't hate it. But the the preparation was so fascinating for me. And I, I did make the, I, I wouldn't call it a mistake because I enjoyed the lessons learned. I'm sure you did too. But I do think I could have been better with a coach. But I went the, the self-done, do-it-myself kind of DIY oh. uh, deal. 16 weeks. Yeah. So 16 weeks, um, led know. up to the show. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, had good success. You know, I feel like I, mm -hmm. I ended my calories still like 2,300. I was doing like cardio six days a week. So I didn't go too crazy, but the progress was awesome to see. Like looking back at the transformation, I still hold those kind of like pictures and videos I took kind of close to heart and some pride in it. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the show itself was, uh, it was a fun experience. It was interesting, you know, and, and one question I'll ask you a little bit later, or we could dig into it whenever, is the idea of timing, you know, trying to time carbs and water and make sure you look your best on stage. Because some, I feel like I looked my best a few days before stage, and I looked mm -hmm. fine on stage, but it wasn't, you mm -hmm. know, peak, which, you know, we, we can get into the, the different reasons for that. But, uh, but the experience, you know, it was, it was exciting to be on stage, but I think I just felt... I'm very much an introvert. So like getting on stage and kind of having that happen. And then uh, my show specifically, they were like having us kind of make up poses on the spot. Like they had the mandatories, but then they started adding in, like do an archer pose. And all of us on stage were like looking at each other. Like we, we couldn't clue into the old kind of classic physique, golden age, that, that specific pose. Uh, but mm -hmm. then we picked it up and so forth. So it was just like, just antsy from it. Um, but it, but it was still a good experience. Right. I'll put it that right. way. You maybe felt a little thrown to the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. And I, here's the funny thing, though. The caveat is I still mm -hmm. think I want to do one in the future, more so to just see, like, how my body has, like, changed with all this running because where I used to hold a lot of fat um, in, my, like, mm -hmm. my legs and my ass and so forth, all the running has kind of changed how my body has shaped those. And, uh, it, you know, all the different, obviously, how you train manipulates how your body looks. So I still want to do, I think, another one in the future and kind of compare my much older, different kind of training self. Well, and muscle maturity too. You can't discount that because that, that too. more mature muscle mm -hmm. looks harder and, and you, you have an advantage. Oh yeah, grainier too, and all that. that. Way. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, definitely. 
wow, well, I, I, I caught the bug. I caught the bug. So I wanted to do another show in Pittsburgh that November. So I'd competed mm -hmm. in February. So I prepped myself for another show. But at the time I had a corporate job. Dummy me. I was ordering skinny Starbucks lattes like with non-fat milk, kidding <laughs> myself and saying, oh, but it's 20 grams of protein. And I'll tell you what that equals. And that is third place. And third place was just not good enough. So <laughs> that's what I, when I ended up, you know, hiring a coach and I'm great, I'm grateful for that too. But each show I would also add has been a learning experience. They're all different. And mm -hmm. even I mean, small shows, large shows, the the prep, the peak week, since you asked. So mm -hmm. I really think there's a lot of value in a couple of things. Number one, allowing yourself enough time in prep versus just allowing that show that you want to do to, to, to choose the date for you. Or you, so, so just allowing your body to, to really just glide in. And then practicing different peak week strategies, because what works for you is not going to work for yeah. the competitor next to you. And until you start to dig into that as an athlete, I don't think you'd necessarily reach your true peak on stage. And, and I'll give you an example. One year, one of our other coaches takes a lower carb approach. My body happens to respond a bit better to higher carb, low fat, but I was put on about a week before the show, I was put on a high protein, little higher fat, low carb. My body looked flat. It was, it was not good. So manipulating the macros, but then also, you know, there's a couple different ways to do the fluids too. And, and even with the one kidney Sodium that I water, have, yeah. pardon? I was going to say sodium, water, there's a lot sodium, of Sodium, like water, all of it, all of it. You know, I can't tell you the number of athletes. I've, I've been in so many elevators when I've heard, oh, yes, coach pulled my water for 24 hours. And, oh, if you have any coaches out there I've heard some crazy stuff. <laughs> yes, please coach responsibly. Like, that's just not necessary. So allowing enough time so that you're not scrambling towards the end and then your body's stressed and your brain is stressed and sleep is a mess. Allow yourself enough time to roll in, but really practicing a few different peak week strategies. I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, I, I think I did like one little mock peak week, mm -hmm. if I can remember back. I don't even remember my entire strategy for it. But uh, but like you mentioned, I've, I've heard that before where it's like, yeah, trial and error. And it's like you mentioned, every show you're learning something different. But one thing I want to ask is how your training changed once you started competing. So you had spent some time with um, training at home, you mentioned, with a lot of machines, some higher reps. Uh, nice. But let's fast forward to, okay, you're, you're at Gold's Gym. You actually have access to all these kind of different modalities for training. And you've decided to start competing uh, how did you like what split were you following? What kind of exercises were you focusing on for men's fi or women's figures specifically and so mm -hmm. forth? How mm -hmm. did all that come about? Great question. After my first and second shows and, and you receive some judges feedback, that really helps to put things mm -hmm. in perspective. And then, of course, the critical piece, having a coach. Kelly Killen was my coach. She did a great job. So those three things and having that feedback helped to drive which exercises now, I'll also say sometimes athletes will get conflicting feedback. So you have to sift through that too. And, and that's okay. One example, since you mentioned, I got rave reviews on my shoulders from one judge and another said, grow your shoulders. And I believe they meant rear delts. I believe they meant rear delts, um, not my front delts because those, I mean, I, I, I thank genetics and a lot of gymnastics and walking on my hands. But my training then shifted to, I have a, an extremely long torso. And if, if you were like, I can't even buy rompers, but this is not a shopping podcast. So mm -hmm. we won't talk about that. But <laughs> I have a really long torso. So it's very difficult to achieve that X shape with really full lats combined with some back issues. So I have some scar tissue in my back. It, it really challenges me in terms of pulling out uh, rather than pinching my back in poses. Mm -hmm. So back became the focus. 
I learned a lot about just de-emphasizing some muscle some muscle groups that I didn't need to train a whole lot. My calves are naturally bigger, my shoulders are naturally bigger, my arms are fine, but really getting to work on and that's where I learned the value of higher weights, lower reps. I did have some discussion, I'll call it discussion with my husband about as the weight increases I've always been a form girl, right? Like every rep had to be yeah. perfect. But there perfect, is a point yeah. that if you want some growth, you have to let a little bit of that perfect form kind of go. That's the tricky yeah, balance. Yeah. I see. You cannot relate to I, that? I was going to say, yes, yes. Well, it's the funny thing because like a lot of the people I associate with now or either that I follow or that are in like – these different lifting spaces, whether it's CrossFit or high rocks or these different things mm -hmm. is up there. You know, it's very, it's a very scientific sport where it's like, all right, you have this amount of rest, these reps, so forth. Bodybuilding is so intuitive. And as you mentioned, you know, you have certain body parts that respond better than others. You have certain body parts that like kind of certain rep ranges I've experienced, you know, for others, like I might like lower reps on back, but then higher yes. reps for, you know, shoulders or arms or different things. So there's so much with that, um, different angles and so forth. But yeah, with the form thing, you know, like you mentioned, you know, I'll, I'll be uh, <laughs> strict on form just as much as the next person. But there are moments where if you do want to kind of, you know, do some force reps or overload or just, you know, really stretch out a range of motion and so forth, you, you kind of got to let yourself, I always call it like controlled swinging or controlled something with it. So like if I was instructing a client on like a lat pull down, right, I'm not going to mm -hmm. have their body in this kind of strict motion up, down and so forth. I'm going to let them kind of lean forward, get that full lat stretch and kind of lean backwards as they row, you know, to optimize that kind of strength curve or that positioning of everything so that they can target the muscle stretch and contract it as best as possible. So like you mentioned, uh, it's, it's just, to me, it's just learning just as much as we talked about learning your body with nutrition and so forth and having mm -hmm. that sense of control. It's really very much learning what works for you. And it sounds like you've obviously experienced that as well. I'm still learning. I still, I don't think anybody really perfects always, it. Yeah. Always, always learning and always being humble enough to consider a new idea or perspective or direction. That's one of the things that I changed my mind about as the years went on, because I put on honestly, a lot of muscle, not lifting very heavy weight and, and doing, like I said, other things like ballet and gymnastics and, and cheer. Well, but, but let's be honest too. Mm -hmm. I was lifting girls. <laughs> so I was the base. So mm -hmm. I, I really was doing resistance training. It just looked different than in the yeah. gym. So for my split about five days lifting, no matter what growth season or competition season, the reps changed, like you said, because just about, uh, unless you're enhanced, unless, you know, a few other things, you're, you're morbidly obese, which if you're competing generally, that's not the case, but nobody's growing in a caloric deficit, nobody. So that's really where I'll, I'll go for the pump, but I'm always Two, two back days per week, two. And, and I keep yeah. trying, Brock. I'm never going to be the competitor. Listen to me, giving away all my secrets. I'm never going to be the competitor that has the biggest back on stage. But I try to outperform when it comes to conditioning because my body responds yeah. really well to that. So I don't do hit. I don't do hit. Uh, I, I do incline walking on a treadmill and I do Stairmaster somewhere between three to five times a week. And then the time frame ranges, but that's never really either e even crazy. It's, it's 20 to 40 minutes, just depending, you know, uh, growth season, 20 minutes in season, 40 minutes. So no two hours of cardio and 800 calories for this girl. I just don't I was gonna say, <laughs> Yeah. So it sounds like you have a very reasonable and, and not insane, you know, struck or yeah, strategy mm -hmm. for prep. Cause I've seen it specifically women, uh, just like you mentioned and kind of referenced, they just do it through these like crash diets where it's like mm -hmm. an insane amount of cardio. It's 1200 calories and it's just like suffer, suffer, suffer. Uh, but it sounds like you, you go through a good approach. So, you know, you don't have to get into too many specifics with the calories unless it, unless it helps explain it. But sure. I guess, how are you, how, what is your approach from, let's say the beginning of a prep to show day? Like how many weeks are you giving it? What is your kind of approach with, 
uh, adding in cardio, increasing it, how are you dropping your calories? How are you making those determinations? Sure, sure. Well, I, I think it starts with the off season and I try not to let my body get too out of control in off season. So the mm -hmm. difference between my growth season weight and my stage weight is only about 13 to 14 pounds. And, and some may say, and you know, I'm 50, I don't know how many, how much longer I have to do this, but some might say that, oh, you, you've got to get heavier. You've got to allow yourself to put on more weight, to put on more muscle. I'm just not comfortable. I'm not comfortable doing it. And I have to be comfortable walking around in my skin all year long. So, so I think that's one is, is not letting the difference and the gap be too huge so that, so that the prep is not long and laborious and intensive. Most of my competition preps have only been 12 or 13 weeks. I did one for 17 weeks and the longer you go, the harder it is to bounce back. And, and I realize that's a difference of yeah, you know, yeah. five-ish weeks, but I noticed a difference. I noticed a difference. The longer your body's in a deficit, I think the harder the reverse is. And I've certainly worked with enough athletes to have seen that happen too. So that's another reason I try to keep that tight leash. Mm -hmm. But then- I was gonna say, I've always heard it as a, as like a get in and get out, right? Yes, with any kind of diet. Yes, yeah. And, and my, my approach with nutrition is, I don't miss a macro because I don't want to spend any longer in prep than humanly necessary. <laughs> so yeah, on point with the macros. Do it, yeah. Do when you're supposed mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Right. Do what you're supposed to do. And I mean, coaching's expensive too. So like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a little thrifty and why would I be spending hundreds a month just to eat off plan? It, it makes no yeah. sense. Uh, I don't drink alcohol. Um, as, as a rule, maybe you can probably count the number of drinks I, I drink all year long, uh, on one hand. Um, and that's just a personal preference. I'd rather have pie <laughs> if, if it's a choice between the calories. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Right. Same, and, yeah. and my calories probably start out in the 1700s for a prep. And as I get closer to peak week, I, I don't really count macros towards the end. I usually just follow the plan that my coach has given me, but when I have run them on occasion, they've been upper 1400s. So again, nothing insane. I eat six times a day. Um, I could pretty much, you know, rattle off. It's varying quantities of eggs and egg whites and sweet potatoes and oats and greens and chicken and turkey and rotate my vegetables. I get stuff. some, yeah, Greek yogurt, nuts, avocado and olive oil. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much about it. No fruit. Uh, I, I tend to stay away from that, but quantities change and the cardio will increase a little. Like I said, I might start at three sessions of 30 minutes a week and I top out at five sessions of 40 minutes, but yeah, I love so it. No, no magic, just slow progression. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Two questions come to mind. One is, uh, so is the strategy or how you personally have felt with doing a larger amount of meals help with you being satiated throughout the day? And the other question I have is, uh, it sounds like for sh pre show prep, you are sticking to primarily a meal plan. In the mm -hmm. off season, do you kind of go more towards uh, macro dieting? If it fits your macros, that kind of deal. Good question. So, I'll answer the last question first. Off mm -hmm. season or, or growth season, I'm really more intuitive. I'll keep that same pattern of six meals a day, and I really like my breakfast, which is oats and then one whole egg and a few egg whites. I like that breakfast. There's enough different ways that I can do it, that that's, I have that all year long. The other meals will vary mm -hmm. a little bit, but I'll still measure my main meals. And why is that? Why mm -hmm. will I still measure my chicken and my rice and my vegetables? Because if there's going to be any variance, it's going to be on the fun things. It's not going to be on chicken. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, right. that's how I, I kind of keep a leash on it, but it is, it's still six. Sometimes I'll drop to five meals in, in growth season, but pretty much keeping the six. And that does keep me feeling full. I've really only had a few days where I've felt just like taking five naps. But I mean, normally I'll have a drop right around four o'clock in the afternoon and I'll have either some green tea or black coffee and I'm good until dinner. Yeah. And if I, if I start evenings are the challenge for me. So evenings, I would love to have a bowl of cereal 
And my coach taught me really well the first season that I worked with her. And I, I think this is why I hit 100% of my macros too. So I was super, super hungry one night and I had two, two bowls of cereal, my first show prep with her. I texted her the next morning. I came clean and she sent two <laughs> things back. <laughs> she said, number one, thank you for telling me. Number two, your competition is not eating cereal. And with that, yeah. I was cured. <laughs> so now I just go to bed <laughs> if, I'm, yeah. if I'm still hungry. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I've always tried to avoid. And I've, I feel like is the hardest thing in, in my past is uh, trying to make sure I don't go to bed hungry. So mm -hmm. like I'd rather be really hungry for the hours between dinner and bedtime and then just eat like something to satiate me into bed because it's hard to fall asleep when you're when you're just dying of hunger, right? I, I normally do have a meal six. So usually I'm in good shape. But yeah. that, that was that was just, you know, younger Jody learning how to just follow the damn plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So pivoting a little bit to, to hear more of your experience with coaching and, and things you've learned working with clients. Mm -hmm. What have you found to be more successful for the general population that's not competing uh, more long term? Because uh, you know, meal plans, I think, are great. And a lot of times people just want to be told what to do. Now, we, we, as we reference, sometimes right. people will pay for something and still not follow it. But but those anomalies aside, uh, a lot of times people just like structure. They like being told exactly what to do, it being pre-portioned out. But at the same time, I worry for longevity, for, you know, the, the, the kids' birthdays, the, the anniversary dinners, right? You, you fall off plan. You don't want everything to just fall apart. Uh, so that's why I also lean very much towards flexible dieting, or you could look at the approach of you reference intuitive eating, where you're just kind of educating them on whole foods and portion amounts and so forth. Yes. What has you, what have you found to be the most successful with most people? Right. And, and that's a great question too. I'm a, I've been a lifestyle and nutrition coach for the general population. I've, mm -hmm. I've coached few athletes and the few that I have have been pre-competition prep. In other words, that stage where we ask you, can you follow a meal plan so that you graduate to the next level and do competition coaching? Mm -hmm. So yes, with most of my experience in lifestyle coaching and women, 20s, 30s, 40s and up, I, I think it's it's about getting into what gets in the way. And, and what do I mean by that? Dieters mentality and extremes. How often when we think about having to cut weight, do we think about, oh, well, I have to cut off all of the treats and I have to cut off all of the alcohol and I, I have to work out seven days a week, twice a day. They go to that mm -hmm. unsustainable New Year's resolution kind of place. And the biggest challenge is learning to let that go. So, so that's one. And another point I would say is I think a meal plan is a great place to start because it's like me with directions. If you, you know, told me the directions to your house, I would get down to the bottom of my driveway and without GPS, you you would it would take me a year to get there, right? Right? So I, I think there's yeah. a lot of value right. that that meal plans or macros provide a GPS. And from there learning not just well, first of all, where it means the most to branch out, like what are your must-haves? What are the things that you could let go of and really leaning in on the treats that matter the most? So if I, if I had an issue with too many glasses of wine interfering with my results, which one could I let go? The glass of wine that I'm, I'm you know, cooking dinner and drinking wine, that's distracted drinking. No one is enjoying that. It's, that's far different than an, an anniversary yeah. dinner with your spouse Special and you're looking occasion. out over the mountains. So you, you have to figure out where the treats matter the most to you and then being extremely strategic about those. It's yeah. tricky because people will generally start with one thing and they'll branch out and then eventually they'll either not understand or they need to learn a little bit more about what that balance really needs to look like for them to continue to progress. Yeah, a lot of times it is just as simple as kind of auditing yourself. And I always think about this in other areas, whether it's just time management or life in general, but especially when it comes to diet, kind of auditing and looking at like, hey, is this worth it? Like, how important is it to me to achieve this certain 
health or this certain weight goal? And is this extra glass of wine, like you mentioned, really worth the sacrifice of not achieving that goal? But that distracted drinking reminds me of uh, one question I, I was going to ask you was uh, bored eating, because I think we all kind of fall into it. I even fall into it sometimes. Luckily, I feel like I work mm-hmm. out enough that it, it doesn't cost me. But uh, that's it's a big habit for people. And, and as you mentioned, working with people from a behavioral angle and lifestyle angle is a lot of times people get they just get bored and they have free time and they eat. And, and another thing that my wife and I both do is we feel like when we're eating, sometimes we have to watch something. Maybe that's like a more like millennial or younger thing, but I feel like we're watching a YouTube or a show or something. So it, anyway, food just gets tied to different behaviors and different free time we have. What what have have you seen that, and and what are your strategies to try and curb that behavior? For sure, we all have those associations. Uh, they're they're called setting events too. Like I know when my husband and I lived in Mechanicsville, we lived next door to a Mexican restaurant. And, and this was the Mexican restaurant mm. that he would walk in. They treated us like family. He couldn't even get his butt in the booth before they gave him the fishbowl margarita. They just knew. So so that was a place, for instance, I avoid when I'm trying to be a little bit tighter with my nutrition because I know I'm going to make a poor decision there. So really looking at environments where you're triggered to make the less than optimal choice. So it, it yeah. starts with with that and lack of preparation, really. I mean, mm-hmm. fail to plan, plan to fail. If, you know, if you find yourself saying things like, I'm going to swing by, drive through, pick up, those are some of the, the key terms where you could have the meal bag. You, and, and again, mm-hmm. if it's worth it to you to be on the go, if, if that's really what brings a little bit more ease to your life, great. But if you'd prefer to reserve it for something that's a little bit more worthwhile, I think that's that's really the key. So yes, those associations happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was good. You made me think of two things. One is yeah. the idea of you know, kind of a way that it sounds like you can curb some of that bored eating or just poor decision making is distracting yourself, like trying to fill time to where you couldn't make a poor decision. So you know, like. Uh, yeah, if, if you're constantly bored and you're eating, like try and just maybe just get out of the house. Go do something that's going to keep your mind occupied, keep your stomach occupied, uh, and makes you kind of not fall into that trap. And then another thing as you mentioned is, uh, yeah, fail to plan, plan to fail. It's something I've, it's a quote I've loved for a really long time for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. But but one when it comes to food is, yeah, just keeping the, the crap out of the house. Like if you don't buy it, the chances of you getting in your car, driving to the store to go get, you know, Doritos or whatever and come back, it makes it, you want to make those bad decisions as difficult as possible to make. And one of those ways you can do it is just being prepared, like you mentioned. So I don't know if you're a big meal prepper. Maddie and I used to be better with it, but now with her kind of job and us moving, I feel like we slacked off a little bit, but we always have rice and chicken typically in the fridge. And as long as you have those healthy options available, they're pre-cooked, they're pre-made, and a lot of people will have, you know, pre uh, meal prep Sundays, right, where they'll just mass yes. make potatoes or whatever meat they're eating and so forth. Mm-hmm. Having again just the ease and availability helps you make good choices easier, right? Very true. I meal prep twice a week. It's okay. just a lot easier for me to wrap my head around the next three or four days than seven for some reason, but. Everybody has a preference. If you don't know, try them both, see what you like. But then you're you're correct too. Have that list of distractions. Know exactly what you're going to do or make a pact with yourself really to just try XYZ before you give in to the food. Most cravings will go away in 20 to 25 minutes. Most physical cravings, emotional cravings, psychological cravings, that's a different story. But Yes, having the list of distractions mm-hmm. to know. And, and and look, if it's been three or four hours since you ate, you're probably physically hungry. Go choose the right thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. W- one, I feel like, problem that we all have to face as we get older, right? My parents are, are the first to tell me and give give this to me as an excuse of, of whatever it is, but uh, is a slower metabolism as you age, right? So as you as you reference, you've worked with a lot of women that are they're older, that are postmenopause, probably that are uh, you know struggling with this weight issue. I guess what are some considerations to think about 
as you age, as far as that metabolism, how can you kind of resist that slowing down or or make up for anything that's lost? Obviously, it's going to be easier when you're younger, but we can't just get younger. So what do we do now? 100%. So for the 20 and 30-somethings out there, get your butt in the gym and do strength training. You can still put on yeah. lean tissue later in life, but it is exponentially easier when you're younger. So take advantage of that time. And I think that's number one, number one. And, and plus you're just setting that foundation for activity later in life because it doesn't have to dwindle. For many of us, it does because we take office jobs and desk jobs and we come, we become much more sedentary. So setting the tone when you're younger, strength training anytime, anytime is, is a good time. And particularly for women, upper body, it, it's, it's really a, a use it or, or lose it proposition. And then I think really an awareness, a great tip that someone gave me was to get some baseline labs done for hormones before things go south. So I can give you mm -hmm. two examples and, and my husband will still love me after I tell this story. But number one, his testosterone has dropped. It, it dropped. It dropped to the place where he got a prescription for it. But the range of what's considered a healthy level of testosterone is huge. Very wide. So it's very yeah. wide. So let's just say that he, you know, it ranges between, I forget what the numbers are, 400 and 1200. I just got it done recently oh, just to look you? at mine. So the, the number they gave me, the range, yeah. the healthy range, at least I think it was for 19 through 39, but it yeah. was 240 to 950. It's like a okay. huge range. Right, right. So if yeah. you tested at 500, that would be considered healthy. But how does that relate to your baseline? That could be a decline for you or a decrease. So mm -hmm. I, I was, I, my former coach, Kelly Killen, taught me that one. She said, go get your baseline labs before things go south. So any, any of you ladies out there, it'll be inconvenient, but you're going to thank yourself later. Get that done so that when things do start to shift, you can get ahead of it sooner rather than later, and and you can take the the right steps, whatever whatever those are for you. Mine have started to shift a little bit, but not enough where I've needed to do anything. I know the day's coming, but mm -hmm. not today. <laughs> so and then really just continuing to pour yourself into nutrition, like food is your medicine because it is. I see so many women just giving up, just saying, you know what? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm this age or my, you know, I'm I hate menopause. Let me rant for a minute. <laughs> let me rant for a minute. No, I, I see no. it so much of the time. You, you definitely see it with older, older population just because they do kind of throw in the excuse of, and maybe it's just been beaten in their head so many times that, mm -hmm. oh, I'm supposed to gain weight. I'm older. Oh, I've, you know. I'm I'm past my prime anyway, blah, blah, I'll just let it go. Or uh, I try to, you know, stay healthy and look good on my youth. Like, let me just enjoy myself now. And it's just like, no, 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 no. And it's, you know, it's, yeah, it, it is just like throwing in the towel. But one, to, to bring it back forward a little bit, one thing that you mentioned that I wanted to harp on a little bit more mm -hmm. is the idea of uh, resistance training and the importance of that. Because I think, you know, the obvious functional health benefit of it is the idea of preventing osteoporosis and, 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 and continuing to have mobility later in life. Um, I, I know Peter Atia, he, he did, he was mentioning this study often on a couple podcasts about how one of the best, uh, markers for like longevity and health is, uh, what you call it strength, holding yourself from a bar, like straight bar hang, and, uh, especially okay. for like women, yeah, static hang basically, yeah. and um, how that was just a big marker, and just you know, strength training in general, like I mentioned, preventing osteoporosis, but also when it comes to metabolism, the more muscle you hold, the more your body's burning, right, calorie-wise to maintain it. So then there's a huge benefit because you can eat more. It's it's so the lean tissue is so much more metabolically active, and and just I'm gonna mm -hmm. piggyback on something you said. This this is funny, you'll appreciate it. I was a telephonic health coach. 10 years ago. And I had a call with a woman who said, well, you know, I am getting older. I am going to be 30. <laughs> and, 
you know, yeah, yeah, she was only going to be 30. And I can't even remember how I answered that. I probably would have answered it uh, a little differently today, having had some more experience. I'm sure I was, yeah. I, I try to be empathetic because, you know, everybody's perspective People, is so different. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we do. My I problem mean, is, we need to learn. Yeah, my problem is, you know, people just think because something's harder that they should just kind of like throw in the towel. It's like, well, because I'm older, I'm supposed to gain weight or because I just had a kid, I'm not supposed to have time for the gym anymore. And they'll point at like, you know, I feel like I'm an easy target because I'm young and don't have kids right now. Uh, so they'll, they'll point at me or, or whoever it is and say, well, of course you have free time to do this. You just wait till you get a reality check or, you know, you have kids or you, you get married or whatever. And it's like, just because it's going to be harder for me doesn't mean I just stop working out and I say, well, that's it. It's like, no, it's even more important to get exercise as you get older. It's even more important to dial in the nutrition and, and eat whole foods and really pay attention to what you're putting in your body, how you're using your body. It's even more important. So just, yeah, you just hate to see that, that mindset and the shifting of like blame and responsibility. Self-defeating behavior. And and even, it, it also depends on how you, what you do when you're given that advice or, you, you know, when, when we're told, Oh, just wait, just wait until my first husband was 12 years Mm -hmm. older than me and he had a corporate job. And I I mean, my body fat's been pretty low. I've, I've been in decent shape or, you know, a version of maintenance weight my entire adult life. So I'm, I'm fortunate for that. But at one point he said, just wait, because somebody had commented on my abs. He said, just wait, just wait until after you're 40. And I thought, Mm -hmm. "Eh, I'll show you. (laughs) So You, there's Who's a different response now? to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To wrap things up, I'd love to get your thoughts uh-huh. on uh, judging because you have been an OCB judge for a bit now. You can tell me how long it's been. I, obviously, it's been at least, I guess, three or four years since I, I saw you doing it. Um, yes. But h- how has how is your perspective on bodybuilding, on the sport, and also even how you train or compete, how has that sh- changed as you've been in that different kind of perspective as a judge? Oh, gosh, that's a fabulous question. Well, I got into judging because the judges were very kind to me, and I had the best experience at Kevin Parrott's show in in February of Mm -hmm. 20-whatever it was, eight years ago, at the Body Sculpting Open. And everyone backstage, now, again... Everybody else who I competed against in in Masters, I mean, we're all over 40. We've already won. <laughs> if we can make it to show day, we've already won. So having yeah. just a positive experience out of the gate, I don't know what I expected because, Brock, I'd never been to a bodybuilding show, which was my fault. <laughs> but my first show I attended, I, I competed in. So, yes. So after being treated so well, I wanted to give back. It's something I love to do and it was meaningful for me. So I've done different roles, you know, show setup, urinalysis or collecting mm-hmm. the urine. That's, that's fun. I fun. feel like, yeah, you're, yeah. You're no longer a show virgin until you've <laughs> collected yeah. the urine at a show uh, in right. judging, but judging has given me a few different perspectives. Number one, the judges have, and, and I had the pleasure of being the head judge at the Richmond show last weekend. So number one is just reminding everybody that if you're sitting watching the live stream or at a different point in the audience versus where I'm sitting, I'm getting a different view. So it's very natural for someone watching and seeing certain photos. And then the camera, you know, the way the photos come out, because I see this when I, when I receive requests for feedback for athletes, sometimes their photos look leaner than what I remember when they were on stage and it certainly doesn't mesh with my notes. So even the the stage photos aren't as telling as when you're right there and you have that true front row seat. So that's something that's, that's different. Um, The lighting on the stage affects, and we do try to, to, to move the competitors through. Uh, We've, we've talked about this along the way today and that's just the different, types of coaching and crazy things that some of these athletes do. Uh, I, again, OCB is natural. I've, I have one kidney. I will always be natural. I won't be enhanced. There's, there's, Mm -hmm. 
I respect any everybody who does the sport enhanced or not. It's hard work no matter what. So I I think just it's it's been interesting to see the different approaches and and that's made me thankful as well. I do have to be careful because after having been a nutrition and health and wellness coach, I don't give feedback. We're not giving feedback to sell our services. Mm-hmm. But I will encourage the the competitor to go back to his or her coach. And, you know, like like we talked about peak week strategies. Uh, I try to give feedback in such a way that, you know, it would be feedback I want to receive. So constructive. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and I want to give some encouragement and positivity. And then the other piece I kind of say here's for consideration or suggestions. And I mean, it's, it's just no matter whether you're a stage athlete or not, I think that it's really hard to go and not leave inspired. So many people have just everything that they've overcome. They have different stories. They have different experiences. And if your listeners, your viewers have not been to a bodybuilding show, just take the time to go one weekend. I'd, I'd argue you wouldn't feel yeah. motivated after leaving it. It's it's a it's definitely has a has a different well it's got multiple stigmas in multiple different ways and mm-hmm. I, I do think though to, to reference your point about a lot of people have stories it really is a journey for I think everybody out there I mean some people have, you know maybe they came shifted from being a jock in high school football player they're already good physique and so forth but the vast majority of those people uh, you know did have to kind of really nose to the grindstone, work on their physique. A lot of them, you know, I, I grew up overweight, but not, you know, overly fat or obese, but some people have, you know, they'll get on stage with, you know, uh, loose body or was it loose skin from, from mm-hmm. all the weight they've lost and how, how inspiring that is. And, you know, it's one of those things where just as much with, I can compare it a little bit to uh, you reference, I should bring it up. So maybe you can talk about your experience, but, um, running a marathon or running an ultra marathon, right. Sure. It's not something you can just do on a whim. Right. It's 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 weeks and weeks of preparation. And to finish it, you're not finishing it fresh as a daisy. It's really it's a hard (laughs) thing to do. And and going through weeks and weeks of prep is a hard thing to do. And so once you get on stage, a lot of times it is very emotional because you look at your your body and you're like, wow, like I I did this. I ate everything I was supposed to in my meal plan. I did all the cardio sessions I was supposed to do. I've trained for years to change my physique. And, and just like looking at that, uh, you just get so much just pride and overwhelming multitude of emotions. Most definitely. And, and you're so right. I'm glad that you brought that up because it reminded me the majority of the work is so freaking unsexy. <laughs> There's very yeah. little unsexy about, y- yes, right. whether we're talking about running or bodybuilding shows. Uh, I mean, you you might see the Instagram clips and then you see the stage photos. Like, that's the sexy part. Everything else, not super sexy. The the black mm-hmm. plastic containers, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, bo- bodybuilding is, is such a, I think it's an underrated sport and the idea of how much work goes into it because it is a 24-7 thing. It's not just the the workout you do, like for for running or other sports. I mean, diet obviously plays a part in all sports, but mm-hmm. with bodybuilding, it's all day. Everything you put in your mouth, you know, matters with how your body's going to look. And if you're in a, a diet phase, you're trying to cut down. You can't slip up on these days because it will show up on stage, and your the pressure is on. You're going to get in stage in front of everyone in your underwear, and if yeah. you are slacking off eating cocoa pebbles, it's going to show. So Correct. it is this like all day, twenty four seven sport, and and because of that, it's it's hard, but it's rewarding, you know. Yeah, the back of my suit is like six and a half inches wide for the pro cut. Yeah, and and anytime I'm feeling a little flat, I'm like, yeah. yep, that's the thing you're gonna put on over. You know, I'm over fifty now, so choose accordingly. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. So yeah, that. But but conversely, it also carries over into every area of your life. I mean, I, I think I'm a better to, coach yeah. and a better wife and a, yeah, right. Because of, of the, the experiences. What would you say about that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it really has shaped, like, I, I think it was the best sport I could have gotten into in, in high school or as a young man, like just get into bodybuilding, a sport that demands such discipline, that demands honestly, such, uh, 
comfort and solitude and individuality because mm-hmm. it is a i mean we have so many people that support us right i'm sure your husband supports you greatly yes. and you have a coach and so forth and 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 some people in these different you know coaching groups will have teammates and so forth but it's still it's still on you it's still you're going up on the stage alone it's on you and and i think mm-hmm. it is very empowering in that way uh one, one thing i want to ask to kind of round out the coaching idea is you know bodybuilding as a sport is it's subjective and as you mentioned it's really hard to kind of look at things from the judging seat versus the crowd versus the pictures versus the really blurry video ig live (laughs) in the back from someone's you know mother that's showing it and um so it can be it, it can be really hard as a judge it can be frustrating as a competitor but what do you think are like the 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 beauty and the subjectivity of it and then obviously maybe you can touch on you know the, the frustration of it but i think there is something special about you know it, it's not objective and there's different ways you can kind of make things up for example and then you could take this and run however you want to go with okay. it but one thing i think about is i might not have the bigger physique in bodybuilding but i could be more conditioned than the guy next to me mm-hmm. i may not have the better uh you know back double rear double by but I might have a better front double buy or, or you know, it, it, these different poses where you could, you know, pick up the slack. So it gets, it's interesting. It is. And I would give the same answer, at least from one aspect, for the beauty mm-hmm. and the subjectivity. And that is who else shows up. That's the, the beauty of it because mm-hmm. I can't sit there and stalk on Facebook and Instagram and try to look at who else is going to show up at my show. If I have that list, I think we've all done it. If we've competed at least one time, but you learn the person that you were worried about that you stalked should not be the person you're worried about. It's somebody else, (laughs) but, but that's that's also the exciting part. Like I know how I'm going to show up, but how am I going to show up in relation to everyone else? So there's always that element of mystery and surprise that I think is really cool. But, I mean, from a subjectivity perspective, ugh, who else shows up? Like, you could be bringing your best package, and unfortunately, if Someone's somebody better. else <laughs> looks better, it's their day. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then, too, you know, it's something that I've learned with, with, with both is you should always, always favor what you like. Because it's like decorating. If, if I decorate around here and choose things that I like, they're never going to go out of style. Well, maybe they will, but, but I'm, I'm going to prefer that for much longer and I'm going to be happier. I, I told you earlier, I had a coach say, well, Jody, you know, why don't you just, why don't you start tipping the scales over a little over 150 if you want to grow that back. In my growth season, I'm just not comfortable at that weight. So, so that's, you know, there is beauty and subjectivity, but ultimately that competitor should be choosing how they define beauty and judges are going to come and go. Other people's perspectives are going to come and go, but you're going to be living with yourself. So that's number one to please. Well, to round that things out, I'd love to hear kind of what are your, your next plans. I know we talked a little bit on a call a little bit ago about um, you still plan on competing, but um, you know, at this point, like you said, you want to make those kind of years that you can compete still count. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on like, what's next for you? Do you have any idea of like, you know, possibly pivoting a little bit in like the fitness realm or, or, or have other passions you want to del- delve into more? Oh gosh. Yes. I am pivoting in the wellness coaching world and more to come on that. That's a very recent change and I am chomping at the bit to share more. So I would just ask that you all continue to follow and be a little patient with me for that. From a personal perspective, I, I, w- I will love to continue to judge and, and help with OCB as long as they'll have me. And then, you know, I, I grew up a dancer, Brock. Uh, so this may be mm-hmm. silly. I would like to continue with that a bit. Uh, I'm not sure in which area and how yet. Like there's, there's really no competition for cardio hip hop. So <laughs> that won't happen. But I'd, I'd like to start to dance more again that's and and not ballet i like more the bar because i know you not ballet yeah I no, say, yeah, I, I, okay. i've incorporated okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit i have picked up the point shoes again for just a few things i i did a couple of the angel competition bikini fashion shows including the one at the arnold this year in columbus and 
And I didn't pick up my point shoes for that one, but the first one that I did in Kansas City last year, it was kind of fun to combine, you know, I walked out in my bikini on my point shoes. That was kind of fun. So mm-hmm. just, you're right. What, what, what can I, what can we all do that we don't look at the clock when we're doing it? So dance is that for me, some, some form of jazz or something upbeat I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking to do and that'll really be the next thing, but I, I'm not going to stop moving and I won't stop strength training and, and I'm going to continue to live <laughs> by what I say about treating food as medicine, because I, th- I think I, I can either have some control of the outcome or circumstances are going to have control of me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Where, uh, where, where can people find you? Ah, on Instagram at Jody Wright, J-O-D-I-W-R-I-G-H-T underscore PhD. And I'm on Facebook as Jody Shakely Wright OCB Pro. To my knowledge, I'm the only Jody Shakely Wright OCB Pro. And uh, Jody <laughs> with hope. an I, Shakely is S-H-E-A-K-L-E-Y Wright. Awesome. Well, there you go. Make sure you guys check her out. Let me know or let her know if you guys have any questions. Share the podcast if you enjoyed. I got something out of it. And we'll catch you guys in the next one.